0: This is Recorded Future, Inside Security Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 220 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire. Our guest this week is Rachel Lerman, technology reporter at the Washington Post. She's co author of a recent piece featured in the Post technology section titled The Anatomy of a Ransomware Attack. The piece explains the who, what, when, where, and why of the growing global problem of ransomware attacks, and is noteworthy for being both approachable and thorough. It's one of those helpful explainers that those of us in the cybersecurity business can keep at the ready to pass on to our friends and colleagues who ask what this whole ransomware thing is about and why they should be concerned. Stay with
1: us. I think that I got my start at the middle school newspaper, the Hawkinson Buzz. Uh, (laughs) No, but really, I started telling stories in middle school and had a really great journalism teacher. And as I, you know, as I got older and was considering what I wanted to do, what I really love to do is write and learn new things. And so this is a great field for me. I have been a local government reporter in rural Washington state and since then I have mostly been a business reporter largely reporting on tech mostly in the Pacific Northwest and I relocated to continue covering tech in San Francisco just about 2 years ago. So I was at the Seattle Times, then the Associated Press and now the Post.
0: Did you imagine when you were a middle schooler there being inspired by your teacher that uh, someday you'd be under the masthead of uh, an organization as well known as the Post,
1: I never thought that would happen. I'm still honestly a little bit shocked that I work here. It's a great place. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations! I mean, it's uh, particularly uh, you know in these challenging times for journalists. Uh, hats off to you. It's quite uh, quite a career path, and you, you've uh, you've worked your way up quickly. So good for you.
1: Thanks so much. Yeah, it's it's you know it is a challenging time for the industry, but I think. We have some really good, like, industry newspaper leaders that are still strong, which is fantastic. And so, yeah, you know, the more information, the better, right?
0: Well, let's dig into the article we're going to discuss today. This is an article that you co-authored with some of your colleagues at The Washington Post. It's titled The Anatomy of a Ransomware Attack. Um, What prompted you all to take on this topic? What what, uh, prompted the creation of this article?
1: You know... It's interesting. I, I, I honestly think it was the colonial hack, the colonial pipeline ransomware attack that kind of eventually spurred this on because we had been covering ransomware attacks up until that point, of course, as kind of one-offs. You know? um, there were the healthcare attacks last fall and, and we had covered some of these you know, big hacking groups and things, but we had never done this kind of huge comprehensive approach. But as we saw some of these more high-profile attacks like Colonial and JBS and people were hearing more and more about these, we thought, oh, you know, it's the time is finally right to take a big step back and actually explain to people what actually are these, where are they coming from, and how do they affect you, you know, like you, a normal person living in our society?
0: Well, you, you've organized uh, the report into five sections. You've got the hackers, the hack, the negotiation, the payment, and the aftermath. Why don't we uh, use that to guide our conversation here? Can you start off with the the hackers? That's really uh, who, who we're talking about here, yes?
1: Yes, exactly. We're talking about the hackers. And this was actually news to me because I haven't been covering cybersecurity for all that long. And so I really only found out how, just how completely organized and business-like these hackers are. I would say I only really completely figured that out this year. And it was shocking to me How these hackers sort of operate as an enterprise, you know, sometimes with revenue goals and and with a hierarchy and with uh, help desks and call lines and chat functions, and so I think that was news to me. And I figured, you know, if I didn't know that much about that, chances are that most people don't really understand just quite how organized this is. So we decided for this story, for the purposes of this story, we took a look at uh, Conti one of the hacking groups, you know, uh, that I think a lot of people have probably heard of for attacking the Irish Health Service Executive, the Irish National Healthcare System. And we focused on that one just because that was kind of a recent example that I think a lot of people had heard of. And it was a good example for our jumping off point of saying like, look, this is a big organization. We don't know everything about them. And certainly that's on purpose. But we do know, you know, we can see some of their websites, we can see where they're leaking company information. Uh, we talked to several researchers who were telling us, yeah, like, this is one of the largest groups. This is how, kind of how we think they operate. And it's it's very sophisticated.
0: And, and operating out of Russia.
1: Yeah, we believe out of Russia. Yeah, de- definitely Russian language there. Yeah. Which is, you know, uh, a common element for many of these ransomware groups.
0: And in the next section, you move on to the hack itself, sort of the, the nuts and bolts behind what's going on here. Can you take us through what you all discovered
1: here? Yeah. And I'll tell you that this one was interesting because it actually changed a lot just before we published it as well. And I think the the main point is still true that many of these hacks are still relatively unsophisticated, right? They come through phishing emails, which of course are are emails that send you uh, suspicious links or attachments that, when you click on them, they try to download malware on your computer, or they maybe they'll come through a known security flaw if these hackers are kind of scanning for for a known vulnerability. But what we saw in the days before this story published was the Kaseya attack, which, as we know, was was not uh, you know was not a phishing email, was not kind of this entry point that we got used to seeing, but but rather a, a vulnerability that, that uh, it sounds like the company was trying to fix, but hackers were able to find and exploit first.
0: And one of the, the things you highlighted here was sort of the, the spectrum of industries that have been impacted by ransomware and who, who they're targeting. Who is in the crosshairs here?
1: you know it's really interesting it is schools it is healthcare organizations it's governments and local munis- municipalities but one of the common threads that we kept hearing over and over again is just how many small businesses are getting hit by this and how it can be so intensely detrimental to these small companies you know like we hear of course about the large companies colonial jbs etc that are getting hit and of course it's harmful to them but uh, we kept running into instances of small companies that maybe, you know, don't have enough money to pay a ransom or, or didn't really know how much security they, they possibly needed because, because they would never really had to think about that before. And so we're seeing kind of a huge effect on small businesses. Of course, it can be sometimes harder to spotlight those stories because many businesses, for obvious reasons, don't really want to talk publicly about what happens.
0: And that takes us to the next section, which is the negotiation. Uh, you spoke with Curtis Minder, who uh, I've I've spoken to a number of times uh, over on the CyberWire, who specializes in the negotiations for some of these things. And I, I mean, it's it's really interesting to me that first of all, there's a there there are professionals who you can engage with to handle the negotiation for you, and lots of people will tell you it is in your best interest to do so.
1: Yes. And I was uh, sort of shocked to hear this. I don't think that I fully had wrapped my head around just how organized and complex a process this was. But yeah, there are negotiators who have done this many, many times before, who in some cases are known to the hackers and or have maybe spoken to the same people before themselves. And so they kind of know how the hackers operate, their tactics, what their thinking is. And really, yeah, they they you know, the advice to some companies, if you think that you really have to pay a ransom, you probably want to work with a negotiator because they kind of know the tips and tricks to get a discount and to make sure that you are actually getting what you're paying for, which of course in in most cases is a decryption key to get your files back.
0: The the article mentions that uh one of the organizations one of the organizations that got hit was a nonprofit that uh focused on preventing breast cancer and uh, Curtis and, and his uh, colleagues at GroupSense were instrumental in uh, reducing the ransom. They didn't, weren't able to get rid of it completely, but get it down to something, I guess it's, I mean, it sounds funny to say, but something affordable.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I mean, that can be a huge piece of this, right? Like if I know that there's a lot of back and forth on whether or not companies should pay a ransom. But if, you know, if the company has made a decision to pay a ransom, either because they they, you know, just cannot regain their files otherwise, and they really need them to keep operating, then obviously it's in their best interest and probably their comp- their customers' and clients' best interest that they get the best price for this. So negotiators can really help with that. And I think, you know, Dave, I think that brings up an interesting point too of how some of these hacking groups say they won't attack healthcare organizations, but uh, it seems to me more and more we're seeing ones that are just okay with it.
0: Yeah and I I it, it also seems to me like we were seeing um a lot of these ransomware affiliates will they'll sort of they're they're okay stumbling on whoever they stumble on you know they're they're not being terribly careful about who they hit and i, I suppose i mean the the colonial pipeline uh example might uh, might be exactly that.
1: Yeah i think that you're totally right it's um it's interesting to see how in many cases, I don't think they have really specific targets like, oh, we really want to go after, you know, schools this month. But rather they're scanning for vulnerabilities because really, like, you know, the, the motivation is financial and whoever they can get money from, it seems they're going to try to get money from.
0: Well, in the next segment of your article is about the payment itself. Um, cryptocurrency seems to be king here. Can, can you walk us through exactly how how do the bad guys get their payments?
1: Yeah and this was this was a a piece that I delved really deeply into and of course you know I think many people have heard of cryptocurrency whether you have kind of you know whether you own it or not but basically it's a digital form of currency right and the reason that these hackers are requesting money in this form is because it can be harder to track and harder to claw back. So it doesn't work the same way as like a bank, right? Where you could try to maybe put a hold on the bank or there's central regulations governing many banks. So maybe you'd be able to trace and then eventually recover that money. You know, with Bitcoin, it doesn't really work like that. The money can disappear rather quickly. And even if you're able to kind of follow it along the blockchain or the digital ledger that, that tracks many of these cryptocurrencies, it might eventually go into a private wallet. And the thing about private wallets is, if you're not the owner and you don't have the key to get into that wallet, then you're probably out of luck. Of course, we did see federal authorities get back some of Colonial's ransom payment because they somehow, I, I don't know how, they somehow obtained a key to that private wallet. But there are um, there are uh, many researchers out there who... Analyze the blockchain to kind of watch, you know. Oh, the payment started here. Okay, well, then it went into this wallet, which we assume is the hacker's wallet. Well, okay, then it went onto an exchange, but then it split through many hundreds of different wallets. Some of it goes through mixers, which is basically a way of digitally laundering money, and and then it's scattered everywhere.
0: Yeah, and I'll point out that uh, in the article itself, uh, you all have a, a pretty interesting illustration of exactly how the. The ransom can make its way through the cryptocurrency exchanges. It's, a, it's an interesting illustration to kind of demonstrates the complexity here. You can see how it would be easy to lose track of where all the funds are going.
1: Yeah and you know it was interesting on this story because we got to work with some really amazing graphic artists and animators at the post who can make these kind of wildly complex topics understandable in a visual form. I am not a very visual mm-hmm. person so I am totally in awe of how this happens. But yeah we got that <laughs> illustration <laughs> and that data from uh, a company uh, elliptic that that analyzes the blockchain and the animator at the post really amazingly was able to kind of bring it to life and show how this actually spreads, which I think, at least for me, it took me a long time to kind of understand, you know, what is cryptocurrency and how does it move? And then I can look at this photo or this moving picture and be like, oh, okay, I see it. I see it right away.
0: I really think it's worth highlighting because I think both The Washington Post and also The New York Times are both really just... um, doing an exceptional job when it comes to integrating this sort of interactive visuals and motion graphics into some of these stories that are both engaging but also really help with understanding. They, they, they can illustrate complex things and, and this stuff is complex uh, in a way that really makes it approachable.
1: Totally. You know, they always say like a picture is worth a thousand words. And I think you can so clearly see that in this story, like just how much the photos and illustration or sorry, not photos, the illustrations and, and animations really add to the story. And it's, I have thought about this a lot because I've been a tech reporter now for, you know, almost a decade and it can be hard to illustrate tech stories, right? Because of course you don't just want a million photos of like somebody sitting behind a computer, but I've been lucky right. to work with like some really amazingly like brilliantly minded visual reporters and designers who can really bring this to life. And uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think it just adds a whole lot. This is just a complete uh, another dimension.
0: Well, the final section of the report is titled The Aftermath. Um, take us through the fallout here.
1: This is one of the tough play, uh, points, right? Because... We know from uh, a report from the ransomware task force that, can, that it can take an average of 287 days to fully recover. So even okay, even if a company maybe ha- restores some backups or, or decides to pay a ransom and then gets a decryption key and is able to regain access like, and is able to become functional, the full ramifications can take months and months. And that can, you know, be, be dealing with cyber insurance, be trying to rebuild databases or files that weren't able to be restored. That can be uh, maybe finding, you know, uh, more protective cybersecurity. And it's just layer upon layer. And I think um, recently I heard of a company that had um, paid a ransom got a decryption key and just, it didn't fully work. And so even though they were able Mm. to regain access to some of their files, they still couldn't get all of them even after paying. And so it can, it's just this kind of multi-layered recovery process where it's like, even if you think that everything is back and functional, later in the process, you'll probably stumble upon something that, oh my gosh, right, we didn't even think about this. And now we have to figure out another workaround for it. It can be really detrimental
0: and what about on the policy side? It strikes me that the, the colonial pipeline attack certainly got uh, people's attention, brought it front and center, and we've seen some direct response from the White House.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, to be fair, it sounds like the White House was working on this before the colonial attack, but I definitely think it's thrust it into the spotlight and possibly like yeah, accelerated or at least put more of a focus on some of these efforts, Um we know that President Biden met with Russian President uh, Putin, uh, and t- as part of that conversation, talked about cybersecurity, which is something that a lot of experts in this area have really been focusing on because they say, you know, if we're if um, Russia isn't putting any sort of pressure on these hackers that seem to operate within their space, then why wouldn't they just keep doing what they're doing, right? But we also see the Justice Department creating a task force to kind of disrupt that criminal ecosystem. And we've seen many, many efforts here. The Department of Homeland Security put out some cybersecurity guidelines, you know. So we're, it seems to me like there's quite a bit of movement going on in that space.
0: What were some of the take-homes for you, having gone through the process of collaborating on this article with your Washington Post colleagues there? uh, What were some of the things that, that you took away from this? What did you learn?
1: I learned so much. I think one of the biggest things that I learned was well, I, I'll say two things. I think one of them was just how sophisticated a system this is. Even if the specific hack is something that we think of as kind of like unsophisticated or or uh, you know a known phishing attack or something like that, the whole process is very uh, it's like almost like a well-oiled machine. Like we have these hackers that are working together. They know what kind of targets they want. They have set up health desks. There are cyber insurance industries and negotiators, and it's just a really big organized enterprise. And I don't think I had fully wrapped my head around that. And the other thing is that I'll just say from like the, I guess, journalistic side of this project, we worked with, you know, Five reporters, uh, I think four or five graphic designers and animators, and it took a lot of kind of um, effort and uh, cooperation to pull this together. And I will say that even though, you know, the words, of course, are great, I will say that I think some of the animations are my favorite part of this and the data analysis that uh, some of the data and graphics reporters did because it really it really brings the issue to life.
0: Yeah, I have to say, you know, even I, I'm sure there are members of our audience who are up to speed on this sort of thing. And so a lot of this stuff in this article would be things that they were familiar with. But to me, this is a, a great resource even for folks like that to send around to their friends and family, to their their coworkers, you know, people who who aren't doing this day to day. This is a great explainer and a real way to help everybody understand exactly what we're up against here.
1: Yeah, thank you for saying that. And I agree. And you know, one of the things I also like about this story is that we're hoping that it will kind of stand the test of time, at least for a little while. Obviously, things change really quickly here, but it does seem like a good place for people to go back to if, if you know, if there's another attack or you're reading about it in the news, you can say, well, what is the, what does this actually mean? How does this actually work? And so sometimes, you know, breaking down the issue into kind of into almost kind of its basics can be can be helpful.
0: Our thanks to Rachel Lerman, technology reporter at The Washington Post, for joining us. The article is titled, The Anatomy of a Ransomware Attack. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.